Welcome to the Center for Internet Security's podcast, Cybersecurity Where You Are. Cybersecurity affects us all, whether we are at home, managing a company, supporting clients, or even running a state or local government. Join CIS's Sean Atkinson and Tony Sager as they discuss trends and threats, ways to implement controls and infrastructure, explore best practices, and interview experts in the industry. We are here to bring clarity to these complex issues to bring confidence in the connected world. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Sean Atkinson. Today we're talking about attestation and the new age of security. And joining us in this discussion is Kathleen Moriarty, CTO of CIS. Welcome to the show, Kathleen. Thanks so much for having me, Sean. It's my pleasure. Kathleen, I want to jump into uh, a term of attestation in terms of both hardware and software. One, let's you know define attestation in terms of the cybersecurity realm, and then where do organizations start to build this capability to perform a posture assessment? Thank you. That is a very big question. I'm going to try to break it down so that the audience has a good starting point. Attestation in a technical sense, or automated attestation, is really just taking some evidence and putting a signature on it. Right, So that's the most simple definition that you could come up with. It's in heavy use already for hardware. So if you think about when you boot up a system, if you have a traditional um, you know, laptop provider, most of those have attestation built into your boot process where particular measurements and policy settings will be verified during boot if you, if you have this enabled so that your system makes sure that it is as expected. So the um, trusted platform module will be used to sign evidence, and that evidence will be checked in a verifier, right? So it will check that it was signed by the expected certificate from the TPM, and that the evidence matches what it's supposed to, that particular policies match, or uh, measurements taken. And that might be, let's say, as simple as the hash of your firmware file, right? So making sure that it is as expected during boot. And it's pretty intricate. That process aligns to NIST 800-193, the firmware resiliency document. And then the Trusted Computing Group expanded that further to specify it at a more granular level. And so most of the major vendors do comply with NIST 800-193, and a number of them also comply with the more granular version from the TCG, which is the reference integrity measurements. And so that's where we're at pretty much now in terms of what you can easily um, deploy within your infrastructure right now. I know my CIS-issued laptop comes already running this attestation capability, and that's tied into uh, BitLocker in this case. So Kathleen, now that we have NIST 800-193, we have the more granular, as you mentioned, Trusted Computing Group, or TCG. Are organizations, do you find, utilizing that capability within their organization to define their posture assessment, i.e. they're using it as a, a reliance, as it were, or a trust to say we're at this particular level, we have now built this capability into our control framework, our information, information security uh, posture assessment. How does that work? This is at a pretty low level. It's only for firmware. 
right? So your firmware and BIOS at, at this stage. There are several vendors that have capabilities that go up to a container level, but it's not at the moment covering the full space of, let's say, a CIS benchmark where you might assess the complete policy for, let's say, a Kubernetes container or a Docker container. You'll get some key elements at this stage. And as you move up the stack, you'll actually have to make a transition from doing the attestation piece of signing that evidence in the TPM over to the trusted execution environment is a, is a typical place where that occurs. And that's just because there just isn't enough space on the TPM to do that for the full stack, both at boot and runtime, right? So if you think about re-verification process that's necessary for a zero trust model, you want that to occur dynamically. And with that, you'll, um, you'll tax out the TPM. So as you move up the stack, it transitions securely over to something else like the Trusted Execution Environment or TEE, so your processor. Um, those capabilities are being developed. So let's say several big vendors, uh, you know, I'm trying not to name vendors specifically, but there's a few of them that make sure that encryption properties in, are in place or that a hash of a file matches what's expected. This will build. And to your point on matching an attestation set, I've started some work in the IETF that's been very well received, and the reason being is that uh, other people have similar work for devices. The concept is that you would take something like a CIS benchmark in the full set of policies within that benchmark or uh, measurements that might be taken within that benchmark, and on the system itself, you'll do that dynamic verification and it goes to logs, the logs are secured, but then you might group that into a single attestation for a remote server that's tracking posture assessment. And so there's an IETF draft on attestation sets to address that, and there's another draft in the IETF Remote Attestation Working Group, or RATS, that is specific for devices. We'll work together and figure out how do we make sure that we're aligned and that we're doing the same thing for devices as for infrastructure. But the idea is, you know, let's scale this. Let's think about how we can make posture assessment built in as much as possible so that entities that are smaller have capabilities built into their system, or even large ones that can't manage the plethora of things that we have to do to maintain posture assessments in our environments, if we're even capable of doing that because of how resource heavy it is. So if you shift to attestation that comes from the vendor on a particular software package or an operating system or a container, and you're able to provide signed evidence of all of the attestations that might occur on a system, into a, um, a single attestation that says, okay, this system has met the benchmark for Kubernetes and send that to a remote system, you'd be better able to track posture assessment throughout your network. And so the idea is, can we scale this more so that people can assess their systems? Right now, how we're doing it, it, it it's not working for the majority of, of organizations because it requires too much configuration by every organization. And so the idea is let's shift it. Let's shift it back so that attestations come from the software developer or issuing organization 
and then they're provided out for everyone's consumption, right? So let, let's make it easy and let's make it scalable, um, both from the development and issuance of these controls and policies, as well as how it's run within an organization. And the idea of just grouping a set into a single attestation to send off to a management station helps with that, right? So you're not sending hundreds of thousands of attestations on the wire to a management system. So Kathleen, I just want to ask and see uh, your perspective from from that commentary. Do you think that's the biggest gap then in attestation today is one, the current environment is, you know, the value proposition is not enough for implementers today or businesses. And that has to move kind of the shift left uh, element back then through the supply chain to those original manufacturer software, etc., in order to allow that then to really be built into an internal organization's life cycle of then doing posture assessment and having this then become part of their information security framework and control program? Excellent question. I think we're on the verge of this becoming a reality and it being forced because of the sophistication of threat actors and um, the chances that they're taking, right? So vendors are really all nervous that they're going to be the next solar winds. They're going to be the next um, Kaseya. Uh, they will be the ones that would be used as a tool to get into their customers' networks. And so if their products are secured by them more tightly and they have attestation done so that they can detect anything that doesn't meet the expected values, they're going to be far better off because they'll be following more of an allow list approach to security instead of the deny list approach that we've, you know, we always start out with a deny list and then we gradually in security switch to an allow list approach. And uh, an example here would be antivirus software. If we're looking for um, known signatures of malware, you just create just an enormous list that is not tractable, right? And so in this sense, instead of looking for all of the things that could be wrong on a system, if you know what's expected, anything else is a problem, right? So that would be flagged. An attestation would fill that gap. The other piece it fills is the built-in security, the call for built-in security, right? So it behooves the vendor with the current state of attacks to make this shift, and it's being asked. So the recent executive order has called for built-in security in products and use of encryption everywhere. And so these are um, things that have been coming at us, and this is, this is work I've been engaged in, so I'm really excited to see what the executive order calls for because it, it pushes things forward, right? And for CIS, this will benefit all of the state, local, tribal, and territorial networks that don't have the resources and won't get them. So if security is pushed pushed back to the vendor um, and made more um, inherent into systems, integrated, right? And then also easy, easier for the management so that our SLTTs are able to readily have these capabilities in their systems to, to know that they are secure or if something changes that they're alerted to it. This will take a while. This is not going to be an overnight you know, change as the level of attestation adoption isn't really there yet. But I think we're in a good direction. So I, I'm 
I'm looking forward to the next five or so years where we see this this change. Oh, me too. Me too. Hopefully makes my job a lot more easier. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> so I, I just want to look at some of... So we've mentioned TPM in terms of firmware. I want to look at software and what are the equivalents in that space or are those still in development at this point that need to be enhanced so when we get to the next five to 10 years that we're in a position where we can put our reliance in some cases on this capability to inform us, as like you say, the delta of what's not normal becomes our uh, alerting element within our infrastructure. Sure. So I mentioned the TPM and in the context, context of attestation, you would refer to that as a root of trust, or you might see it ROT, root of trust. And the root of trust might be the TPM, if it's a hardware-based one. It might be the trusted execution environment, which is part of the processor. So if you're not familiar, um, an example of a TEE is Intel SGX, um, ARM Trust Zone. AMD also has a trusted execution environment. So this is really common. It's basically the part of the processor where you can do isolated computations on something. And that affords you a bit more security because you're you know signing the attestation in isolated in, in isolation. The virtual TPM would use the trusted execution environment for, for most cases. So then that becomes the um, the root of trust as it were within that kind of small environment. Exactly. And then for small devices you have something um, you have the dice protocol. So there is an option for those as well for phones and whatnot. Yeah, I think that gets to the point of the modularization and the underlying peripheral of all of our infrastructure is not just simply the underlying firmware within a single laptop. It's a conglomeration of the mobile device, everything that we're using in order to execute, you know, the underlying value proposition of our business. Um, so, yeah, I think the um, really uh, and one of the things I want to go back to is in your blog post, you have uh, remote attestation enabling posture assessment for automated GRC, absolutely phenomenal. Really the inspiration for, for this uh, podcast. And you mentioned in that remote attestation. Uh, and I wanted to get your perspective about the security industry as a whole. Have they adopted this perspective as a way to move forward? Or is that what we're waiting for in, our, in terms of that being the key for us to enable attestation at, at the levels that you've mentioned previously? That's a great question. Um, some key vendors have been using attestation. Are they using it at the level that I'm suggesting? No, not yet. Um, that will be gradual. And the problem with attestation is if you're using it and your verification fails, you might have a process that needs to restart. So in the boot phase, the reason why it took so long to get attestation built in for your firmware verification process is that you can't lock up a system, right? So a vendor can't sell systems that are going to lock up on their customers. And so there's really a lot of precision required in that development. And so as we go up the stack, it will be gradual. Um, it will take some time. Vendors are adopting this approach. And I think that the big push will be this drive for built-in or integrated security, right? So so that it comes from the vendor itself and not as an add-on later. I think customers will have to push for it a bit, right? So it, it behooves us to have it from the vendor that gives us the product 
And it behooves that vendor now, right? So I think with these big attacks happening, they realize their product has to be secure now because they can't be the next reason why half the country gets attacked or a whole sector gets attacked. The, the scale of attacks have just been escalating, right? Uh, there's, there's no good way to say it um, and frightening. And that's, I think, going to be the, the biggest motivator is we really have to take action. So there's a lot of change happening right now. I think there's a, a bigger drive for zero trust. Um, and with zero trust, this provides a method of verification. So um, one of the other hurdles is uh, where do you apply that verification? Um, you know, if you're doing it at a microservice level, that's easier, right? So we might see it at at um, a component level rather than seeing it on an overall system because it's easier to check a component to a smaller set of things and have it pass than have a larger system um, that might reside in multiple environments, wind up with the same values and pass every time, right? So that's, that's really the tricky part. And while some of the other checking standards have been useful, they just require too much configuration at the customer site, right? So they haven't been well deployed. Well, I think that was to your point previous is that if it is today and this is the environment that we're in, in and attestation is part of a program, it takes so much configuration on behalf of the user in order to make that manageable and have any value or contribution to a control framework or any GRC capability. And with that, obviously, the overhead there is, am I going to spend my time doing that work or the other 150 controls that I have to worry about as well in terms of the environment and then trying to smash those together to create something that looks like, uh, you know, something that I can use from a compliance perspective, a security perspective and provide to board of directors, risk committees and things of that nature and leadership in the organization to say, this is what I've done, this is what exists, this is our capability, here we are, this is the risk that we are you know, currently experiencing, is very, very hard for anybody to even contemplate, I believe, at this point. Would you agree? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And you know, my hope is that the patterns that scale stay with this technology, right? So there's always a chance that engineers come in and make it too complicated and that's when we might see it fail, right? So I am doing everything I can, and I know some others are as well, to try to really keep this theme of scale in mind Absolutely. with attestation. Otherwise, you know, we, we could just be right where we are now. Well, exactly. I mean, then it kind of flips back and then the underlying configuration becomes so complex as it's pushed towards the end user is, well we've set all of the controls in place. You need to figure out how it fits into your environment. And there's, you know, a thousand switches as it were, then we're no better than we were before. It's not gonna really have any effect. Right, so my hope is we build on CIS hardened images and those type of offerings where those controls can be checked using attestation from the vendor. And then customers can just buy these products that have um, hardened images and benchmarks that are attested to on a regular basis to provide them a higher level of assurance and then that reporting over to their GRC systems in a more automated way. Um, and then they would have the trust from you know CIS and the whole uh, community defense model that goes into building those controls, you know, first through the consensus process, as you know, 
the mapping over to mitre attack, and then the comparison to all of the, the known threats so that, um, you know, in the case of the controls, that you're hitting the most important controls in the environment and you have that checkbox on a regular basis. I think it's continuous verification, as you mentioned, and automation within that process makes, um, kind of takes the uh, headache, as it were, or the overhead of that required control out of the equation and just build security in and everybody uh, can kind of benefit from that. So completely agree there. Kathleen, I wonder if I could just, uh, one point you did make uh, previously was about zero trust. So one, you know, what does zero trust mean? And then how can this uh, help enable the implementation and management of remote attestation? I think it's that remote attestation helps zero trust more. Um, because zero trust, my, my favorite definition, just to take a step back to your initial question, my, my favorite place to look at to understand zero trust or, or, you know, to advise people to go and understand it at a more deep level is NIST 800-207. And the reason is that it's vendor agnostic. So you get a, a, a general view of it. And then you also see how pervasive it is. Because if you take a slice of zero trust from a particular vendor, you might think, oh, zero trust is all about identity or zero trust is all about microservices. Um, and you'll get locked into that one piece of technology, but it's not the case, right? Zero trust is pervasive. It's that no component trusts another component. And so what you have to do is you have to have authentication. So if one component's going to call in another component, it has to authenticate itself and it has to provide verification of it being what's expected. Right. And so then the other party can make a decision or the other component can make a decision. And all the while it's encrypted. Everything's encrypted on the on the wire and everything is logged. So if you look at the tenants for zero trust, um, there's, I think, seven in the NIST framework and they call out the need for strong authentication, strong encryption, but then also dynamic authentication. So there's a re-authentication process that happens for components and for people. Um, and then a verification and a re-verification process. So how I mentioned from boot on a system, you'll check at boot all of the attested values and you'll verify them, but then that also happens at runtime. If you think about it at an application level, you know you, you have that with users authenticating and you can recheck their roles and make sure nothing changed while they were logged in. And so you have those components and it says log everything. So it's really important to have those logs to dig back through and figure out is everything as it should be. Um, and Zero Trust, it's gonna take a while to get there. And so, you know, the CIS con controls can help with that because it can help you to prioritize what do you go after first in your zero trust implementation. So you can think about zero trust and think about your controls, uh, the CIS controls, to help with, you know, how do I prioritize what I go after when I'm choosing what to do next in my zero trust journey? No, I think that's fantastic. And one of the things I think with zero trust, and I appreciate the definition because I do think there is sentiment in the market that is just looking at identity and it's it, it's more than that. <laughs> so I, I really appreciate that that definition's here and also an enabler in a lot of cases with uh, remote attestation to zero trust is also a very important point. One of the um, other things that uh, I think we've really 
discussed, but I, I really want to get to the point is we have this element of attestation, this process for organizations um, in order to achieve. And then I, I think we've you know reiterated that we need, we're looking at third parties, we're looking at the uh, supply chain, as it were, to provide a capability. What is needed, or is it simply uh, NIST 800-193 and the implication, but what is needed to get us over really the hump, as it were, to get us to the point where we're seeing remote attestation, we're seeing the capability being absorbed from an automated process, it feeds our GRC, it feeds our risk, it feeds our threat modeling. What is needed in this space, do you think? A little push in terms of implementation. <laughs> and so if anyone's listening and is interested to work with me and others on this, um, you know, an implementation of the draft I'm working on would be amazing, right? To see it um, go up the stack a little bit and then think about how do we coordinate this feedback into GRC platforms and, and any um, even configuration management platforms so that they can have a bigger picture of what these systems look like on, on the network. Um, you know, that might be either individual um, implementations or we could even do a hackathon connected to an IETF, an Internet, Internet Engineering Task Force meeting. So those are all opportunities. Um, and if a vendor wants to implement and then show off, you know, how they um, comply with this, that opportunity can be created too within an IETF meeting so that they can bring their finished implementation and they can also impact the standard as, as it's being developed, right? So if we're missing something, they'd have the opportunity to add it in. So I, I do have one vendor I'm working with and I'd love more to join in and see how can we make this work? How can we go up the stack? How can we make things easier for all the underserved entities or, or the people who can't hire enough resources and the people really suffering the most from that 3.5 million person deficit for security professionals, right? How can we make it integrated, trusted, and easy for them? Uh, and you mentioned the deficit. It just This can help contribute to our ability to not realize that deficit and then utilize automation, utilize this capability to take away some of that need that we have across every organization, government, private, whatever industry, uh, and allow us to see that achievement in the, in the space. Uh, I think also, too, and one of the core tenets, obviously, of CIS is volunteer. You know, we're, we're not anything without the volunteer community. So I think your effort, everything that you're striving to do, which, uh, again, after reading that blog, I thought, you know, I'm reading the future of what my job will be in five years. This is it. And so why I had to get you on the podcast and we need to get this out to more people. And we need volunteers and organizations working with you to achieve this. Um, this I, Well, let me put it this way. I want to make this a reality because it's going to make my job a lot easier. So again, awesome. I know a little bit self-serving, but, awesome. <laughs> but this Thank is you. amazing. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, this is a bit of a passion for me in yes. terms of thinking about architectural patterns that scale. After I served as an IETF area director for four years and read 400 pages every other week in terms of new standards coming out, it, was re it really became apparent that if we shifted to architectural patterns that scale, 
we could do a lot better. And so this includes several architectural patterns at scale, even the benchmarks and how they're created and then deployed and used by so many people is one example of scale. But then attestation, we should keep it with several architectural patterns at scale within it so that we actually achieve this goal. And, and that's all in line with the book that I uh, published about, I guess, a year ago now. Yeah, just about a year ago next week. Kathleen, thank you so much. One one element that I like to bring to each of uh, uh, the podcasts that I do with individual guests is my uh, James Lipton-esque set of questions are the, the Atkinson 9. Uh, and so I'll start. What is your favorite CIS control? I'd say you really have to start with the first. Can't do anything unless you know what assets you have, right? What is the least favorite part of your profession? I guess that it keeps me up at night. <laughs> All right, I'm right there with you on that one. <laughs> so, uh, so the third is, why do you like cybersecurity? I'm always thinking, right? It's a constant challenge that keeps me up at night. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a pro and con. Uh, so what don't you like about cybersecurity? The inefficiencies that we have right now. Absolutely. Right, so... Yes, definitely. What source of data, log, or telemetry do you love? Can I say what I don't like? Of course you can. Yeah, so I don't like that it's just too difficult. We have to do translation engines between every single format because nothing aligns. Yes, no standardization whatsoever. Uh, Maybe another thing we don't like about cybersecurity. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, standards are there. They're just not adopted. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So then what is the biggest waste of time in cybersecurity? I might pass on that one. No problem. No problem. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? This, I don't, I don't have an answer. You're in the profession you're meant to be in. <laughs> yeah, so I, I have a passion for information security. And yep. when I've had tasks to do performance or other related areas, passion just doesn't come out it's not right. there right that's awesome what profession would you not like to do compliance <laughs> ouch i wouldn't mind helping them right so i'm helping right. them i want to make their yeah. job easier but i'd rather be a little more researchy than yes than evidence-based auditing and things of that nature my life uh yeah but i'll help what... you you will i know you you have already <laughs> When you reach the end of your career, how do you want to be remembered? That I made an impact. Definitely. I think that, that's probably a common, right? A common. Absolutely. Oh, it certainly yeah. is. It certainly is. And I say you already have. Phenomenal. Oh, thank it's you. great working with you. We're going to have, I'm going to have to have you on more podcasts because we've got a lot more to cover in Zero Trust. We've got to see where our testation's going with the work that you're going to do with all the volunteers that are going to come through this podcast to you uh, to work on this. Um, Excellent. But thank Thank you, Kathleen. Thank you so much. Well, that's it for today's show. I hope you've enjoyed the discussion. And remember to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss a single episode. You can also follow CIS on social media for the latest cybersecurity news and updates. Until next time, I'm Sean Atkinson. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the show today. If you are interested in learning more about how to grow your cybersecurity program, the free tools available to help you on your journey, or to get involved with the CIS volunteer community, visit our website 
at cisecurity.org. Start secure and stay secure.